0: country. The city of Derna was hardest hit and is completely cut off from the rescuers by standing water. And our top story tonight, the fugitive who escaped a Pennsylvania prison is still on the run for a 12th day. He got a shave, stole a van and escaped the search perimeter this weekend, all with no one seeing him. Stay with news Nation's primetime lineup for all the latest on this story. And if any news breaks out, we will be sure to bring it to you on any of the shows you see right there. But right now, it's time for Unbalanced with Leland Vettert. I'm Elizabeth Vargas. See you tomorrow.
1: On the program tonight, parental Pardon he should have never been prosecuted here. This was a dad standing up for his daughter. Virginia's governor defends a father who police arrested for exposing his daughter's on-campus sexual assault, how parental rights will define 2024 and change the Republican primary.
2: Saying good night. But I tell you what, I don't know about you, but I'm going to
1: go to bed. The White House pulls the plug on the president And plays him off stage like it's the Academy Awards. Thank thank
3: you, everybody. This ends the press conference. Thanks, everyone.
1: How our enemies are responding. And Drew Barrymore says enough is enough. Will Hollywood heed middle America's wake-up call? Welcome to the Ferris Show on television. First tonight, you knew it was going to happen the diversity, equity, and inclusion fraud laid bare. Sometimes there is a moment that crystallizes the hypocrisy and arrogance of an organization or a movement. In TV, they call it jumping the shark. Consider the situation at Michigan State University right now. The deans and administration there demand allegiance to the most progressive of values. They are so woke, they won't use common expressions like rule of thumb dare you offend somebody because rule of thumb is evidently racist. Freshmen must be called first years where you are honoring a male-dominated patriarchal culture. Those same people covered up extremely serious sexual harassment claims against their star football coach for months, and when exposed, they tried to claim the moral high ground.
4: I have suspended Mel Tucker without pay As an additional interim measure, while the investigation continues, I made this decision with the support of university leadership.
1: The exact same university leadership that covered it up for months. Michigan State's athletic director, Alan Hallard, suspended head football coach Mel Tucker. they say, during an investigation for sexual harassment. We should say Tucker denies the allegations. And based on his statement, which came out a couple of minutes ago, there's real reasons to question the allegations against him. But that's not what this story is about. This story is about the university and how they handled it. Tucker signed a 10-year, $95 million, fully guaranteed contract less than two years ago. A lot of money on the table here. And he's accused of sexually harassing a rape survivor who had been hired by the university to share her story with Tucker's players. Now, that accusation was made nearly a year ago. The investigation against Tucker was completed in July, but he was still on the payroll. All of this was kept secret by the university. In fact, he was still allowed to coach. The university knew that there were allegations of some pretty shocking behavior. He doesn't necessarily deny the behavior. He says it was consensual. So we're going to spare you the details. But let's just say he was less than faithful to his wife. His wife would probably be pretty upset with what happened. And let's not forget that this is the same university that ignored complaint after complaint about Dr. Larry Nasser. This university covered up the sexual abuse of 300 female athletes for years. In the MSU of
3: today, our investigative processes are fair and thorough. In the MSU of today, in all cases, we continually review interim measures to ensure appropriate actions are taken.
1: It would appear as though absolutely nothing about what MSU did was either fair or thorough, either to the accuser or to Mel Tucker. It's unbelievable. But this isn't about Michigan State and Mel Tucker. This is about a broken university system. We'll make that plural, broken university systems. They spend millions of dollars on diversity, equity, and inclusion programs that talk about safe spaces, that push to restrict offensive language. But time and time again, they show the opposite. They cover up serious actions by players, doctors, in this case, football coaches. We don't know whether Mel Tucker did this or not, but how they handled it speaks volumes. It's, an op- it's exactly the opposite of what they want you to believe they believe in. This is what they say they believe in, Michigan State's latest DEI guidelines, a document on inclusive language published late last year. Just as the university was finding out its $10 million a year football coach was accused of sexual harassment of a rape survivor. They found out that he was accused, and they put out the guidelines. The inclusion guide is designed to provide best practices for communication in areas like gender, race, and sexuality. Helpful tips like not referring to women as females. Avoid the term female as a noun for women, the pejorative term reduces women to their assumed biological anatomy. It also discourages the use of terms like Christmas trees, wreaths, bunnies and eggs in the winter and spring because they are references to majority religious imagery. But when confronted with accusations in which a rape survivor allegedly felt harassed by a powerful man, the university covered it all up. They stalled, they tried to delay. They only confronted the facts when the press got a hold of the story. Now it appears once again they have bowed to public opinion rather than doing what's right. They would have presumably continued to keep up the appearance of a safe and inclusive campus for all, had we not all found out about this. NewsNation contributor Elizabeth Pran is with us. Look, put the Mel Tucker stuff aside for a second. This is what happens when you don't have any real principles.
3: Well, and Leland, this is one of those stories where the truth is almost stranger than fiction, right? You can't make it up. You have this poster child for a a, a Big Ten. I mean, we're talking, as you mentioned, 10 years, $95 million. And, And they brought in this woman, Brenda Tracy. She goes to, what, well over 100 universities across the United States to talk to football players because... When she was in college, she was raped by a number of football players to talk to them about this very issue. And now it's turned into this, he said, she said, and he's obviously claiming that the relationship was consensual. But your point is the timeline, right? There was 18 months where they worked together whether or not they were in a relationship on the side. That is really not for our knowledge. But the university knew in December of 2022. So in what profession, if you are under investigation, because if you Leland are under investigation or a police officer is under investigation, you are removed from your duties. Whether or not you're paid or unpaid is up to the organization, but let's say even a lawyer or a teacher, maybe not at one of these universities, but at the same time, you look at the guidelines that they're giving out to some of these students who are incoming freshmen, but they're not allowed to say freshmen. They have to say first year or second year. And at the same time, that football coach is with his team in preseason in July when the investigation is now complete. That was Just a few months ago, they're practicing. Game one, they won. Investigation has wrapped up. They're waiting for the hearing in October, and they still had game number two. Like you said, the story came out on Saturday night with the USA Today, and on Sunday morning is when we heard from the university. You would think that Michigan State, out of any school in the United States, would act a little bit better.
1: Yeah, you, you would think, and the, the governor, Gretchen Whitmer, not exactly a paragon for moral clarity, uh, just issued a statement, we deserve to know when the university knew about these allegations and why they made the decisions they did. We need to ensure that one of our state's flagship universities carries so much weight around the world is learning from the past, not recreating it. it. Just as I'm hearing this, and it's a developing story, it could be, and I'm just playing this out, that the university may have cleared him. Right? Is that back in July they may have said, "Look, it seems as though that this probably is consensual." And if you read Mel Tucker's statements, it, it leads you to believe that he has some pretty convincing evidence on his side in terms of text messages, Venmo receipts, uh, cent, uh, on and on. That, that this may have been consensual. Or not, it was. Right, but now, or but now, now the now, and now
3: investigation the, was underway. Right?
1: Right, but, well, right? Am I right? No, so they, they knew that there right. was
3: and. At,
1: Right, but what I'm, what I'm wondering yeah. is, though, right, you know, the investigation was underway and they didn't say anything about it. They should have suspended him. You're absolutely right. right. OK, and they, they should have lived up to all of their DEI language and blah, 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 blah. So hypocrisy right. uh, point number one. But hypocrisy point number two would be if in July they decided, look, this is fine and he, there's not enough evidence to suspend him. There's not enough evidence to substantiate these claims. We're going to have this hearing, but we sort of know what's going to happen. Right. And then to turn around and suspend them because it became public, that's hypocrisy point number two. It goes back to the original point. Like, oh. If you don't have guiding moral principles, you got nothing. And this is supposed to be a university okay. teaching kids.
3: No, and I have a response to that. Because, uh, and then you hear them say, especially after Larry Nassert, well, we want to build the trust and the relationship. Well, they already didn't build the trust in the relationship. The least they could do, is like everyone else, is to pretend like they build the trust in the relationship. So they're going to suspend them for two games. Because you're right, there is certainly a lot of doubt in these two stories. And I get it. And I don't want to get into some of the nuances, because I, you can go through a deep dive. Trust me. There's one thing you don't want to do is go through a deep dive in the said relationship or non-relationship between these two. But they had to they had to backstep. What other decision could they make? This is a super progressive university. You can't say women's restroom. You have to say yeah. single occupant restaurant they, they have they have to do this. They had no other choice.
1: Yeah. And now you also wonder, right, where are all the big donors? Uh, where is the university president who supposedly is the one who's leading all these things? Uh, again, when um, when they're actually when the rubber meets the road, everybody uh, dives for the bushes. So there you go. Um, Elizabeth, it's always good to see you. Thank you. You're Moving great. on to assuage concerns. And we've heard this a number of times. Uh, To assuage concerns by a majority of Americans over President Biden's age, the White House says over and over that his actions, just watch him, they say, his actions speak far louder than words. But now, even the White House is having a very hard time explaining the words of Mr. Biden, or for that matter, the actions of the White House press team, meaning the people who work for the White House. It all happened about 36 hours ago at a press conference in Vietnam.
5: He just hasn't shared
2: with me. But I tell you what, I don't know about you, but I'm
1: going to go to bed. <laughs> All right, so to be fair, the president had gone from Washington to New Delhi to Vietnam, been 72 hours or so on the road, difficult. He seemed to be jet lagged and tired. He said, I'm going to bed. And he had been rambling and having a hard time putting together some coherent thoughts. But at that moment, the White House staff cut his mic. And then played the president off stage, almost like the Academy Awards.
0: Are you, Thank you, everybody. President.
1: you could see that the president was talking, but the microphone had been cut when the smooth jazz started. Okay, put the age issue aside for the campaign and all that, because this isn't necessarily a story about America. Because it's not just the American media taking notice. Our adversaries are watching closely. Here's how they covered it. Joe Biden says, I'm going to bed before being cut off in press conference. General Secretary of Vietnam said, you look so young. 80-year-old Biden couldn't help laughing. That's the Global Times from China. With us now, Brett Bruin, former director of global engagement at the Obama White House. And Colby Hall, founding editor at Media. Uh, Colby, we'll get to you in one second. But I want to start with Brett, just because as, we, as we're on the air right now, Uh, Vladimir Putin and Kim Jong-un are meeting. Uh, Kim Jong-un left North Korea for one of the first times in a long time to meet with Putin. And I'm wondering how they're looking at what happened in Vietnam, how President Biden acted uh, as they sit down.
4: Well, Leland, first thing I would say is that... um... The actions, as you were saying, speak louder uh, than the words. And clearly, uh, the U.S. policy, whether it's on China, whether it's on Russia, has been particularly strong. Now, that being said, uh, you're always going to have these gaffes. And that is a bipartisan fact of life, especially on some of those long journeys halfway around the world. But at the same time, and I think, you know, there is obviously this looming question about uh, the president's fitness for another term. It was one we discussed on uh, our Global Affairs podcast, One Decision Today, with Tolu Olorunipo, the the Washington Post uh, bureau chief uh, at the White House. And, you know, one of the things that he said is that, obviously, and I think this was illustrated by the clip you played, Biden is, is somewhat overmanaged by his staff. They try to, you know, correct the record every time that he riffs off script. And this, quite frankly, just makes Biden end up looking more foolish. And I think his staff does not serve him well with some of these moves. Right, look, I've covered the
1: White House for a long time. I've been on the road with the president, was in Israel during uh, President Obama's visit. I've never seen uh, a White House uh, communications officers the people who run the the press conferences, the technology cut off. Um, the President Colby, we'll get sort of to the age issue in a second, but I want to get something to happen today because it is the anniversary of nine eleven. President Biden, the first us. president to not uh, acknowledge uh, the anniversary in Washington or New York. He was in uh, Alaska on his way home. He gave a speech about 9 eleven um, in which he talked about being at the World Trade Center. Uh, the next day. So, first the president's remarks, and then followed by where the president actually was, uh, then Senator Biden was the day after the 9 11 attacks. Take a listen.
2: Each of those precious lives stolen too soon when evil attacked. Ground zero in New York. And I remember standing there the next day.
6: For in this dastardly act, they may have done what no other group of people could possibly have done,
1: <clears throat>
6: and that is unite the
1: civilized world. You know, Colby, during President Trump's time, we were told over and over again by the media how important the truth was uh, and how important important it was to fact check the truth. They did about Donald Trump's claims about 9-11 that uh, had, had some embellishment, shall we say. Why don't we see about something as important, as sacred as 9-11, that same outrage over what Joe Biden had to say?
5: Great question. Um, I, for a variety of reasons, I think uh, first and foremost, people don't pay as close attention to Biden as they did Trump. And I can say this from my own personal experience, When Trump was president and he gave a speech or spoke to the press, you couldn't take your eyes off of it because you had no idea what was going to come next. Was it an insult? Was it some sort of bravado? And, you know, you elect an entertainer, you're going to be entertained. Biden is is a little bit tougher to watch because, as you saw right there, apart from, you know, the sort of tall tale that he apparently was caught telling, he's aged. You watch. We all age. But you see the 2001 version of Biden and the current version of Biden, and it's striking. It's more striking than you'd ever believe. Do do, do the press give him a pass on these sort of tall tales? I think yes. Yeah. And I think in a, in a way that like Grandpa at the dinner table doesn't quite remember everything, we give him a pass. And I, you know, that's not fair, but I think it's
1: it's real. Well. Yeah, I, I guess you can say, argue whether it's fair or not, which may be beside the right. point, because grandpa doesn't right. have the nuclear codes, right? I mean, there's a, there's a <laughs> little bit of a difference than, than, you know, okay, grandpa, that's great, that's great, um, versus like, hey, uh, what do we do right now when, uh, you know, North Korea does whatever, or when Russia invades Ukraine, or when China starts uh, firing uh, across Taiwan? What I think is interesting, and I want to play this for, for Brett— um, a big part of President Biden's platform for reelection um, is this concept that he is the world leader, that he has the foreign policy chops to deliver. Um, take a listen to one of his campaign ads.
4: A nearly 40-hour journey in and out of Ukraine. President Biden left Washington, D.C. at 4 a.m. on Sunday. He landed in eastern Poland and then took a nine-and-a-half-hour train to Kiev.
6: He entered Ukraine under the cover of night. And in the morning, Joe Biden walked shoulder to shoulder with our allies in the war-torn
7: streets.
1: What's interesting about that, Brett, is you don't hear one word from Joe Biden in that in that ad, he's no longer perhaps his best advocate. But I wonder, just again, with your expertise around the world, and look, you you know, you worked for the Obama White House. There, you you are by nature a Democrat. I know you're also an honest broker. Do you see that concept that our allies respect us and our enemies fear us uh, with the Biden presidency? As Colby noted, as he is aged, as he has this tendency to not necessarily. Uh, get it all right every time he speaks?
4: Well, look, I think with Joe Biden, and this goes back uh, years, not just uh, a recent fact, he always was um, running off uh, the reservation with some of these off-the-cuff remarks. But, you know, again, I think both uh, at home and uh, abroad, he's judged by the intent of what he's trying to say. He's judged by those actions. So by and large, yes, I think both our allies and our adversaries are um, listening and, and are conferring uh, on on him the respect and the credibility that he deserves and, and quite frankly, some of those rifts um, serve a purpose and whether it 's on China on Russia, it can be a warning. But that being said, it obviously carries a lot more weight than when he was a senator or vice president. And I've written about this, uh, you know, Leland. It's something that obviously um, is concerning. And I think we've got to ensure that when the president is speaking, that those words, especially on these really sensitive subjects, um, are very carefully selected. And ultimately, I think what Joe Biden will be judged on this time next year is whether or not he will be a more stable hand on that nuclear button than what the Republicans are going to put forward.
1: Yeah, as you point out, every word the president says uh, matters, where the commas are really matter as well. All right, uh, gentlemen, thank you very much. We appreciate it. Speaking of who will be the next president of the United States... Mike Pence would like to be live town hall event September 13th. That's on Wednesday, live from Chicago studio audiences in Chicago and Iowa as well at 9 p.m. Eastern. Today, Drew Barrymore took what some people would consider a heroic stand on behalf of her staff members of her daytime talk show. She crossed a picket line and we all know what they call people who cross picket lines. She did it anyway. The Writers' Strike, the Writers' Guild Strike, began on May 2nd, 130 days into the WGA strike. Barrymore went back to her show without writers. On Instagram, I made a choice to walk away from the MTV Film and Television Awards because I was the host and it had a direct conflict with the strike, which was dealing with studios, streamers, film, and television. It was also in the first week of the strike, and so I did what I thought was the appropriate thing at the time to stand in solidarity with it. Okay, the Writers Guild of America, WGA, represents 11,500 screenwriters. And to be fair, a lot of them are journeyman, middle-class folks trying to make a living. Just because you're a screenwriter or you write for a comedy show or a sitcom or whatever does not make you, by any means, an extraordinarily well-paid individual. But they went on strike in May, demanding higher minimum pay, better residuals, meaning payments when things rerun, and regulation of material produced by artificial intelligence. Now her show, Drew Barrymore's show, is resuming, and being picketed. News Nation Entertainment reporter Sam Rubin um, is with us now. Sam, it's good to see you. Source told me that it's very difficult for her to get guests now. Some of the big Hollywood celebrities are boycotting her and have canceled on her on her show. I'm wondering though if she has not picked up on something that that a lot of us and you and I have talked about a long time that. The rest of America, the people who watch these shows that advertisers need to reach aren't necessarily as enamored in Hollywood as they used to be. They don't need to be. And she's speaking to her audience and meeting them where they're at.
0: It's a very, very difficult circumstance because I think that she was sort of lauded here in Hollywood for uh, standing with the writers, perhaps more strongly than anyone. Right when the strike began, she walked away from a lucrative and and big hosting opportunity with the MTV Awards said, I'm not going to do this because I, I support the writers. Now the strike has dragged on throughout the totality of the summer. The actors have joined in as well. And, and she's effectively saying, you know what, I, I love my three union writers, but 100 other people work on this show. And I think, Leland, this is the unspoken element. Season four for Drew's show a sort of medium performer in terms of TV talk shows. I think she was afraid if the show did not come back sooner than later, it would be canceled. And that's why I think uh, she's made this decision, but it's a difficult decision. And she has been criticized as those who often cross picket lines are criticized by members of the screen actors guild and members of the writers guild. So we'll see the ultimate long-term effects. But I think one thing that she did, uh, which is to be admired is she went straight to social media and said, this is what I'm going to do. I own this decision. This is my decision. Uh, So if nothing else, she's being very straightforward. And that's sort of been the brand of her talk show, that she's quite candid with her audience.
1: Right, I, and to that point, though, and I, you know, you and I have talked about sort of the rise of Yellowstone and sort of the concept of rule values and on and on. And look, to a certain point, if she's doing a new show and everybody else is in reruns, it's a great opportunity for her. You can't deny that. But I, I'm wondering, in this world where so many celebrities can be created on Instagram and TikTok, and advertisers can go to these places, if there's not a realization in Hollywood, perhaps um, among some, of hey. Uh, we need the fans. We need the viewers a whole lot more than the viewers need us now. And therefore,
0: at least by Drew Barrymore, like eh, it's time to go serve the people. I, I think you bring up a really interesting point. And where I think this will come to the fore are these late night shows. That's habitual behavior. None of the late night shows, the Jimmys, uh, Stephen Colbert, John Oliver once a week, Bill Mayer once a week, have been on you know, since May, do people form other habits? And when those shows eventually come back, does an audience come back with them or not? And, you know, will they be uh, sort of forever uh, hampered? I I think that's a real, very, very open question. How much are certain shows missed? Uh, At the same time, and the WJ cites polling to this effect, that I think, you know, people, and these are generic labels, and there's more nuance to this, I think people are pro-labor, I think they realize that the actors and the writers yeah. for a while have been getting sort of the short end of the stick, and and I think people don't begrudge their labor action, I think what people will begrudge, especially in the next couple of weeks, is that when you turn on your TV, particularly in broadcast network television, there's no new shows at all. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how,
1: how that happens, and then, uh, the, the, you, add, you add on top of that uh, the social media angle of it as well and, and how people are, are thinking about things. UAW strike coming up. We'll see how the two are covered. It's going to be fascinating uh, to watch. Sam, thank you. you Virginia's bet. governor just pardoned a parent convicted of a crime for trying to get his little girl justice. Our parents' rights, the civil rights of our time
0: across this land is unfortunately politicized and weaponized to the hilt, and that should scare every american they used me to silence moms and dads and grandmas and grandpas and everybody else that were starting this movement to protect our children and stand up for our rights
1: you might remember virginia father scott smith a boy who identified as gender fluid sexually assaulted Smith's daughter in a girl's bathroom at school. Smith was then convicted and spent 10 days in house arrest after speaking out about the attack at a school board meeting in 2021. This guy was charged with obstruction of justice and disorderly conduct after he talked about what happened to his daughter. The obstruction of justice charge was on appeal. Smith was supposed to go to the court this month on the disorderly conduct charge. But on Friday, Governor Glenn Youngkin issued a pardon.
2: We righted a wrong. He should have never been prosecuted here. This was a dad standing up for his daughter. And just to remind everyone, his daughter had been sexually assaulted in the bathroom of a school and no one was doing anything about it. And in fact, it, it took the election of a new governor, me, and my directive to our attorney general, Jason Miares, to investigate this, to uncover
1: the fact that the superintendent had in fact covered it up. The 14-year-old student was arrested on July 8th on two counts of forcible sodomy. That arrest came a full two months after the alleged attack happened. He was eventually moved to another school where he went on to sexually assault another young woman. Adding further insult to injury, the National School Board Association sent a letter to Biden, to President Biden about Smith's arrest in September of that year, writing, America's public schools and its education leaders are under an immediate threat from a growing number of threats of violence and acts of intimidation occurring across the nation. NSBA believes immediate assistance is required. The letter insisted that Smith's heinous acts were equivalent to to domestic terrorism and hate crimes, evidently the crime of protecting his daughter, as far as we can tell. Meantime, in California, the Orange Unified School District just approved a controversial parental notification policy, becoming the sixth district in the very liberal state to do so.
4: All those in favor? Aye. 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 Motion passes. <laughs>
1: The policy requires schools to notify parents if their child decides to switch genders. As you could hear, it was met with a lot of cheers and some boos. It's just as we saw in nearby Cheeto, California. It may not exactly hold up, though. The state of California just sued the district to overturn the policy, calling it transphobic. In the ruling, the judge said, the concern is how do we safeguard these students that identify as LGBTQ? And in my view, it's a situation that is singling out a protected class of individuals differently than the rest of the students. So that's what's happening in California. Join us now, Bill O'Reilly, podcast host of the No Spin News on BillOReilly.com. Good to see you, Bill, as always. Look, civil rights defined the 1960s. Uh, is this idea of parental rights defining this this decade?
6: Well, first, uh, I'm going to tell you why it's happening, Leland. It's important to know that. So, I was a high school teacher uh, north of Miami in a ghetto, very tough school. Didn't have the trans stuff back then, but we had troubled students, people who took drugs, people who assaulted other people, that kind of thing. I always alerted the parents. Um, the structure was, uh, we had a vice principal in charge of discipline, but I didn't really trust the guy. So I would take it upon myself. If a kid was under the influence of narcotics or acting violently, I would actually call the parents myself. And most of the parents were very happy that I did that. And I said, listen, I'm not trying to, uh, get your kid in trouble or anything like that, but you need to know what's going on at school. I felt that was my duty as a teacher. Uh, because I am not the primary guider of the student. The parents are, okay? So now we have the secular progressives almost solely driving this. Independent and conservative Americans, they don't want any part of this. And if you understand the societies in uh, the Soviet Union and Red China, Cuba, they want the uh, state to have the ultimate authority over children, not the parents, Stalin and Mao encouraged students to inform on their parents, to uh, tell the government their parents were dissenters or whatever. So that's what's happening in America. You got the progressive left that doesn't trust uh, particularly t- traditional parents to raise their kids. And they're using this LGBT um, trend in school um, to try to give more power to the school and less to the parents. That will not work in the courts. California and New York, Illinois, these really far-left states, it'll work for a little while until it gets to the federal area. One final Hmm. point. Um, I sent my kids to private school, even though the public schools in my area on Long Island are very good. I didn't want any part of this cultural progressive movement which has taken root in almost every school. And these people are powerful. And if you don't stop them, your kids uh, who are 12 years old are certainly not qualified to make a decision about abortion or LGBT or narcotics use or anything else. They're not qualified emotionally to do that. If you um, take the authority away from the parents, you're going to destroy the country.
1: Yeah, You said, interestingly enough, that the secular progressive left doesn't trust parents. And I'm wondering if, it, if it's right. that they don't trust or if it's that they actively want to undermine parents' authority. Well, they do if they're, if they're not progressives.
6: See, okay. they, they feel yeah, no, was, uh, the progressive movement feels that if you're not with us, then you're evil. I mean, I'm generalizing now. But people don't understand how pernicious this far left movement is in this country. It's awful. And they're trying to look, dismantle the entire nation and build up another nation. That's what they want to do.
1: Yeah, look, it was interestingly enough, you pointed out how it, it won't last. And Glenn Youngkin won the Virginia governor's race almost solely based on this issue. It was the only, the only political race I've ever covered where education was the number one issue. Education became a proxy for so yeah. many things. I, it was Terry McAuliffe, the Democratic candidate, who said, you know, we don't believe that parents should get to decide about their kids. And that was it. That was the race. Right. Is, is this going to be you know, the I defining? Right. Yeah. Is this going to be the defining issue in 2024? No, it's not, no, no, because
6: Biden won't say anything about this. Uh, he's a puppet of the progressive movement. They love him because he does. Uh, he and his staff do whatever they tell him to do. But Biden, even Biden's not going to get involved with this. Um, He just won't. It's that explosive. But really, the American people have got to make a decision in 24. I mean, do we really want to go in this direction, this progressive direction, where uh, parental authority, personal freedom, all of that is sublimated to the will of the state? Is that what you really want? I mean, we're seeing it on the streets of New York City, San Francisco. We're seeing progressive policies play out in front of our eyes. You want that chaos? You want no public safety, no standards of behavior? Is that what you want? Well, keep voting for these people then.
1: Well, you, you gave me you gave me the segue because coming up, we're going to talk about how New Mexico's Democratic governor um, is trying to get around the Second Amendment because she's declaring uh, a health emergency. So uh, you and gave me my fail. tease.
6: She will. Yeah, no. Yeah. She will fail. fail. Yeah, but-
1: we're, we're, yep. we're going we're gonna to cover it anyway. It's interesting what's happening out there. We'll tell you what a local sheriff uh, has to say about it. Bill, thank you. We'll be right back.
5: Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. Ed Granger, we're here for you. With professional-grade industrial supplies, count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.
1: That's just some of the protests in New Mexico over an emergency order to suspend open and concealed carry laws in the state, meaning you can't have a firearm. Legally, of course, all the criminals will still have firearms. The governor cited recent shootings of young children and called guns a health emergency. Obviously, there's a lot of folks not too happy about that. Albuquerque's sheriff is one of them. He says he won't enforce the ban because it's unconstitutional. Our next star affiliate in New Mexico took the governor to task over the infringement on Second Amendment rights.
0: I think it's time we have a really strong debate about all the other constitutional rights. No one right now in New Mexico, and particularly in Albuquerque, is safe in a movie theater, at a park, at a school, at a grocery store. I think it's time to talk about the absoluteness of the discussion and the current court actions uh, that suggest that the Second Amendment is an absolute right, and none of the others are.
1: Robert Petillo is here, civil rights attorney. Okay, we can all agree that The Second Amendment is not an absolute right. There are restrictions on it. Uh, I'm wondering here if if we're going to go down the route of being able to infringe on constitutional rights for health emergencies, how this would be if all of a sudden you wanted to say, well, we no longer have to have probable cause to stop people
7: and pull cars over and search them. I think you're absolutely right. and I think this will be struck down by courts. We're already seeing uh, sheriffs and law enforcement saying they will not abide by it. Uh, the Second Amendment, just as the First Amendment, is a constitutional right. So imagine a uh, because of health, we say you can no longer be Protestant. We're going to violate your freedom of religion, or you can't uh, you know have free speech in this country. I think that this is a step too far, and we're, even we're seeing uh, gun control advocates coming out. No, and the the ACLU against they, it. Yeah, this is a
1: bad step. David Hogg, I support gun safety, but there's no such thing as a public estate public health emergency exception to the U.S. Constitution. I'm wondering why a Democratic governor, I guess what, it's a publicity stunt. It's just a way for her to sort of ingratiate herself to the progressive left.
7: It's a way to get headlines. Remember when Gavin Newsom proposed a 28th Amendment randomly that he knew would never go anywhere? Yeah. But it got a couple of headlines. In, in this case, uh, this puts this governor on the map, but it, but in reality, this gives more ammunition to the other side, because the people who are advocating for reasonable gun control, for reasonable measures on background checks and on raising the legal limit uh, aids to buy uh, firearms, now the uh, the people who are on the fringe on the other side can say, aha, we told you. What they really want to do is come directly after all your rights. They want to uh, come after your constitutional rights. And because of that, it makes it harder to come to a middle ground where we can get legislation passed.
1: Yeah, it's almost like she's trying out for Commerce Secretary or Health and Human Services for the next administration. You make a great point about what the other side's going to do with this. Robert, it's always good to see you. Excellent insight. Thank you, sir. All right. uh, 9-11. It is today, 23rd anniversary. The way we look at 9-11 is we take a live picture of New York. The way we look at this day has changed drastically. Something happened today that we all need to pay attention to when we come back. Today, of course, is 9-11, 22 years after the morning none of us could ever forget. It was right before I went to college, and we all really do remember where we were that day. But for some folks, 9-11 may just not mean what it does to the rest of us. Take a look at this DraftKings tweet. They're a sports betting website. They offered a parlay. You could bet on three games involving New York teams. They called it the Never Forget Bet. The New York teams to win tonight on Uh, 9-11. DraftKings has apologized. Chris is here. I know, look, you remember exactly where you were. You were covering it. I'm a few years behind you in that. But I think about this is that... There's a bunch of kids at DraftKings. This was some 24-year-old to 25-year-old marketing intern uh, who never realized what this means. You know, we think about it, never forget, and it means something to never forget. There's a generation now that doesn't understand. It's like the generation after Pearl Harbor or something.
2: We did forget. Um, life moves on. You know, Now yeah. the enemy is us. Uh, we're fighting each other with the same kind of fury that united us in common cause against the terrorists back in uh, 9/11 days in 2001. I don't blame the kids. Look, it's a, it's it's in poor taste. I'm sure it wasn't meant to be offensive. They're saying bet on New York t- t- uh, teams. It's just it just shows that we've lost the context and the reason that every year I make a point. Of reminding where I was and what it meant and not just all the families in the 343 that were lost as first responders. But, you know, we've lost almost as many now since then uh, to all of the horrible things in the air that they told us wasn't there back in 2001. But you can't expect people to remember if you don't make it important.
1: Yeah, I know you're going to cover it on your show, but it almost there's something about the human brain that you kind of you sort of begin to let the worst of things pass, pass pass out. It's almost when you talk uh, to people who were in war and the like. And there, there's a good part of that. But I think you make a really good point about how if we don't remember what, all, what united us, that really terrible moment, uh, it's very difficult for us all to agree on what it means to be Americans.
2: Yeah. I mean, look, we're in the business of division these days. Uh, not yeah. us. Certainly not you. Um, but... Nobody's spending time to remind why we're so strong, uh, how we rise to occasions in ways I've never seen a society do before. But I'll tell you what, I'll give you a little bit of a tease. I'm going to tell the audience tonight, 9-11 changed all of us. It changed me in a way that I literally would not be here today if not for 9-11, and I'll explain why.
1: With that, we'll be right back. Thanks, Chris. A little later this week, News Nation's Kelly Meyer is stepping into the boxing ring to knock out cancer. As we found out, you would not want to face her in the ring. We've cleared out the studio here in D.C. to give you a preview of the Beltway Brawl. News Nation's Kelly Meyer is back from the campaign trail. She's been training for months now. For this charity fight uh, to knock out cancer so it's your stepdad mm-hmm. who has cancer mm-hmm. it's not often that television people volunteer to get hit though I'm
3: yes and uh, I found out and I immediately told the bosses to make sure it was okay and approved um, it's all for a good cause to raise money to so knock out cancer.
1: News Nation viewers have donated you yes. raised what 75?
3: $7,500 our goal is 10k we're almost there.
1: Alright so the fight is September 13th September we've been watching she's tough really tough. We decided we wanted to, like, feel it out here, okay? You know. All right. Here we go. One, two. She can punch, I'll tell you that. The event is Haymakers for Hope. They've raised $630,000. Fight night, Wednesday at 7.30. We wish Kelly, of course, the best of luck in the ring. If you'd like to donate, uh, it's on our social media, at Leland Vittert, both on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, We're going to put up a couple of the segments there uh, from today, including the one about MSU, Michigan State University, and their head football coach. Love to hear your thoughts for tomorrow. Here's Chris.